Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Henry, did you know that today's guest, Timothy McLaughlin, was in the Mortal Kombat TV series? I did. He's been in other TV shows and movies too. I'm trying to grow a beard like the one he has. Well, that's going to be tricky, since we're only voiceover bots. Wait, where are you going? Maybe I can clip some hair from the yak, and make a fake beard. I've got a safer idea. Wait until the Sherpa gets out of the shower. There will be enough hair in the drain. It helped me audition for ZZ Top. Attention Rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, throwing water balloons, or people, off the cliffs is strictly prohibited. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa screening room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Saying hello to you from Sherpaloo Studios. It's me, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. You are listening today to the Sherpa Screening Room, where we get to talk to people from the entertainment field. And I've got an interesting guy to talk to today. His name is Tim McLaughlin. He's done some movies and some TV, and he's a really great guy. Had a really fascinating conversation with him. I think you're really going to enjoy it. He probably does one of the best Rick Moranis impressions I've ever heard. <laughs> and you'll find out why, and you'll also get to hear it too. Very enjoyable, lots of fun, super nice guy, very talented as well. Let's have a listen to my conversation with Tim McLaughlin. Hello there, Rebels. We are in the Sherpa screening room, and I got a guest today. I, you know, I get all these guys with great beards. I'm so jealous. <laughs> We're going to have to discuss this shortly, you know. <laughs> He's been featured in some of your favorite TV shows like CSI, Monk, Everybody Hates Chris, Mortal Kombat, Conquest. <laughs> and he's been doing some uh, movies and some short films. I'm meeting him for the first time. This is Mr. Tim McLaughlin. How are you doing, Tim? Great to see you, Jim. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing very well, thanks. All right. Did you always want to be an actor? I know you've been doing stuff like on and off for a, a good stretch of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I went to college, uh, got a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Before that in high school, obviously, my career actually, or my interest in acting actually happened when uh, I saw this really good looking girl who was in the drama club and I wanted to be part of it. So there you go. I jumped right on in. And uh, of course, the drama teacher in high school was just looking for warm bodies to play men because uh, not a lot of guys wanted to be in the drama club in high school. So, uh, but it was, yeah, that was the beginning. And, uh, you know, I 
didn't get the girl, but I certainly did uh, get a bug, and it was for acting. So, uh, <laughs> it's so funny with male actors. I get that story a lot. They're like, "Well, there was a girl." I was like, "Oh, I know where yeah. this story is going." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it, you know what? It's I tell you, women have power over men. Men do not run this country, my friend. <laughs> this is uh, this is a this is a misnomer. It is a uh, complete fallacy. So. We only make it look like we're in charge. Yeah, exactly. And they know that. And that they, they play off of that idiosity that we uh, portray. So. <laughs> so so what was the very first, first role that you played with this girl in uh, high school? Oh, God, let's see. It, it was a uh, it was a play called um, The Man Who Came to Dinner. And You're I'm pretty sure that. a lot of people are familiar with that play. Uh, I played a character named Westcott. And he was kind of like the radio show guy who uh, came in and had about a five minute funny scene uh, and the audience just fell out of their chairs laughing. And that was it. That's how I got hooked. You know, the energy of, you know, you being somebody else and, you know, the audience's response, it's, it's intoxicating. So then you decided to pursue it seriously after, after yeah. high school? Actually, <laughs> my mom uh, was, uh, she was actually trying to railroad me into uh, getting my real estate degree or uh, my real estate license because my parents were both real estate agents. And, uh, and so that didn't work out too well because I had absolutely no interest in, uh, in buying or, or selling real estate at the time. And so I went off to college and I had this incredible fascination with marine biology. I mean, I loved all, of, all kinds of marine life. I was just, I loved it. And um, living in Florida, after I had moved from uh, Connecticut down there, uh, I, I, I got a passion for it. And so when I entered college, I started off with a major in marine biology. And then one day I talked with my marine biology professor and he turns and he says, well, he says, your degree is only going to be good for one of three things. He says, you're either going to end up on a drilling rig somewhere for six weeks at a time. He says, or you'll end up like me teaching to you guys. And the third thing is you might end up at SeaWorld. He goes, and that's pretty much it. And I had all of these dreams of being the next Jacques Cousteau. So, and when he enlightened me on that, I, I kind of decided I needed to, uh, I needed to abandon that. <laughs> <laughs> and then lo and behold, I said, well, I really love acting. So I went over to the theater department, checked it out, really liked it, um, transferred up to uh, University of Florida auditioned into their program, um, got accepted, and uh, that was that. Was it your first movie that was in 1997, The Lay of the Land? Yes, The Lay of the Land. Um, I, uh, I actually had a really great couple of scenes with Ed Begley Jr. Um, the movie was directed by a gentleman named Larry Eriks, and it starred um, Tyne Daly, Sally Kellerman, Ed Begley Jr., and just, just a, really, a really great cast mm -hmm. of veteran actors. So um, the producer, his name was Jonathan Crane, very famous producer. Uh, he actually produced all of the John Travolta films. So all of his Look Who's Talking and, uh, you know, Swordfish and that stuff. He produced those movies. Well, I had a conversation with him and he said, you got to get out to California. You just got to get there. And he says, there's a lot of work for you. That's when I headed on out to California. So when you're on that movie set for the first time and you've got all these veteran actors, is it a little overwhelming or did, did you say, well, I got to be, I got to feel like I'm home here and not, not let the nerves get the best of me. Yeah. You know what? There's always nerves with any project that you do. And then you get past the first take 
and you're off to the races. I mean, uh, you know, after about the first or second take, um, I, I, I got really comfortable and, you know, believe it or not, a lot of these big name actors, they, they get just as nervous. I mean, they are just because, because they're perfectionists and they want to be perfect in, in their takes as well. So they have a lot of, uh, of anxieties and stress, just like I did. So as, as soon as I kind of sort of read that, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be easy because they're feeling the same that I'm feeling. So, and they are, they're professional and they treat you that way too. It's funny, a while back I had spoken to an actor named John pierre Giagnoli, and he was in Ford versus Ferrari, which had Matt Damon and Christian Bale. And he said, you know, being on set with the two of them were like night and day, where Damon was just very amiable. He wanted everybody to get along. And, you know, he was like buddy-buddy. He said Christian Bale was just very focused, very intent on his character. But it still worked either way, though, even though you had such a different ends of the spectrum, you know, when it came to an approach to working on a movie. Absolutely. I mean, every actor has their different method or different way of getting to their character. You know, some are method actors. Uh, some use different techniques like Meisner, um, Strasberg, um, and then some just just find it their own way. James Garner in an interview, like well into his career, they asked him, they say, you know, any kind, do you have any kind of formal training or anything? And he said, no. He says, I never took an acting lesson a day in my life. And, you know, he did just just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, I think, just have that instinct that they can just walk in and just maybe read a scene and they understand what their part is and they can just yeah. in, immerse themselves right into that role, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the actors, the actors that can do that are really in touch with the character. They, first of all, there's a tremendous amount of studying that nine out of 10 actors really, really work on for their characters. You know, I met, I, I bumped into Bill Murray uh, on, uh, on a back lot at the, at the uh, Disney MGM studios at the time uh, in Orlando. And they were filming the movie Quick Change. I, I bumped into him. He was coming out of the, one of the sound stages. He had a stack of books. I mean, this high. And he's holding them like this and he's walking. And I said, Bill. And he looks over at me like, you know, like I'm crazy, of course. And, and I said, I said, what are the books for? And, and he, he turns to me and he goes, higher learning. And I knew that every one of those books were, were for his character study. He just, a lot of actors go through tremendous amounts of character study. Let's talk a little bit about your TV career. Now, you've had like little parts in some of the TV shows. What was, yep. the, first, was the first one was Mortal Kombat? Yes, it was. Um, I did a, a TV miniseries in 1996 called From the Earth to the Moon. And uh, that was produced by Tom Hanks. And as soon as I got that role, it carried over into the Mortal Kombat role, which was great. And um, I love that role. It was the first time I ever got to die on camera. And, and you, talk about, you talk about pressure and the crazy things that go through your head. All right, am I gonna die? Am I gonna die with my eyes open? Or am I gonna die with my eyes closed? My mouth open? You know, I mean, you run all of this crap through your head going, how am I going to really nail my own death? And so uh, it, you just you just have to you just have to release all your inhibitions and just go for it. And uh, then the director will say, 
either that was perfect or man, that was, that was really over the top. You got to kind of draw it back. <laughs> oh, the lights are getting dim. <laughs> <laughs> How did your character die? He was actually, um, uh, the scene was, I was being chased by this sort of a grim reaper, kind of a bad character, a spiritual bad, whatever. And, um, and he supposedly hacks me with his sickle. And so I had to, you know, I had to have that, you know, you know, the gasping, the couple of, couple little jerks. And then I had to try to talk because, you know, the, one of the stars of the show, they come up to me and he's like, dude, what, what were you trying to say? What were you trying to say? You know, and I had to get out this clue for him to basically continue finding out who this killer was. So as I died, I gave him a really important clue to uh, finding the killer. So it, 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 it was, uh, it, it was great. It came out really good. <laughs> yeah, that must be a pretty, pretty big challenge for an actor dying and then all of a sudden contributing something that's important to the plot of the show. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know, even the smallest roles are sometimes the most pivotal in, in movies and um, really funny and really interesting. I was just watching um, uh, Batman Returns last night with, uh, with you know, the Joker with... Um, Heath Ledger? Uh, yeah, Heath Ledger. Thank you. And there was this tiny little scene in there where you saw Anthony Michael Hall okay. from uh, Breakfast Club and, uh, you know, all the John Hughes movies. Anthony Michael Hall had like the littlest, tiniest part in it of a reporter. And, and most people won't even realize it and recognize it. But he's sitting there on the steps of Gotham and he sits there with his, and he gives about a two second, you know, and then he does another scene later on where he's sitting at his interview desk uh, as a news uh, anchor, a newscaster. You know, even those simplest of tiniest of roles, you know, big name actors really embellish in. I mean, they really sink their teeth into them. So out of the TV shows that you did, were there any ones that particularly stand out very memorable? I mean, apart from dying in Mortal Kombat? <laughs> I really enjoyed working on Monk. Monk was a really great, and I got to work with a fantastic veteran actor named Alfred Molina. Uh, some of you might recognize him or remember him from the second Spider-Man movie. He was Dr. Octavius. And, you know, he was also in the uh, first Indiana Jones movie. Uh, that's where he actually started his, uh, his big journey. Um, and what a great guy. I mean, down to earth, humble, we spent like a total of about an hour and a half to two hours sitting in a limousine and because the scene was we, we, we drove up and then we get out in the limousine. I played his attorney. And so um, we sat in that limousine for, God, at least 45 minutes between takes talking about our, our mother's uh, cooking recipes, you know, and desserts and stuff like that. And, but but what, a, what a wonderful guy. Humble as all get out. And he was a stage actor also, wasn't he, before he did movies? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He British, fantastic British stage actor. So I know you did like a bunch of short films as well. So that's got to be an interesting approach because you've got to kind of make it interesting and pivotal within like a short time frame. It's not like the audience has a long time to get to know your characters. Yes, yes. No, I, I enjoy doing short films because one thing about today's audiences they are right now programmed to have an attention span of like a minute. I mean, with social media and YouTubing and I mean, if they're not interested in you in 10 seconds, they're, 
you know, they're turning to another YouTube channel. They're flipping around looking for something else that's going to gather their interest. So short films are actually really great ways to keep somebody mesmer, you know, interested. And then as just as soon as they're like starting to fade on their interest, boom, it's over. So then they don't feel disappointed in any way, shape or form. Um, but I've done a couple of films out here. There were a couple of festivals. They're called 48 hour film festivals. And you talk about, it's like guerrilla filmmaking. Okay. You got 48 hours to write, film, edit, and turn it in. And it's, it's a really intense pro, uh, um, project and it's very competitive. And there are tons and tons of people out here that do that. And they, they're all over the country. They pre I'm sure they have one up there in New York where you're at um, the 48 hour film festivals and they're intense, but what an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Well, what was your first one like with that? Nobody knew what they were doing <laughs> and everything was literally thrown together with duct tape and bubble gum. Um, you know, you have to, what you do is leading up to it. You, you, you gather your crew, you get everybody or, okay, you're, you're going to be my cameraman. You're going to be my boom microphone guy. And you, you cast it, you go, okay, I'm going to cast it. And you have everybody there. And then you get this big ball of string, kind of sort of theoretic. I mean, um, imagine it. And you got to unwind it. And you got to, you just got to make, make sense of it, you know, mm -hmm. like dumping a puzzle out on the table and you got 30 seconds to put it together. A um, lot of chaos, a lot of yelling, <laughs> lots of tempers, you know. <laughs> And uh, uh, when you get down to it and the uh, post-production guy and the editor and everything, and they get it all finished. And when you walk that, that flash drive up to the, uh, to the director of the show or director of the uh, festival and you turn it in and everybody goes drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you have a big party and you sit there and you laugh about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I yelled at you. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to scream in your face. And you know, so. <laughs> what, what better way to wrap up a 48 hour movie <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and then they and then literally three days later you screen it so they uh they gather up in the theaters and everybody sits there and they, and they vote on it and four days later yeah they hand out awards um so it's it is a about a seven to ten day experience of just pure adrenaline and uh and it's really fun i mean it's stressful but in the end, it's very fun. It's very rewarding to see it. And you actually did a movie where you directed also, right? Yeah, I did. I actually wasn't supposed to. Um, <laughs> I was just supposed to act in it. Um, that, that was a great, that was a really great experience because the, uh, the director had a nervous breakdown. Like I said, chaos, chaos. And um, uh, she was writing it. And then everybody was going nuts trying to figure out how to piece the scenes together. And she just went out and had a nervous breakdown. So I ended up directing everything, you know, working with the DP and sitting there in the post-production and helping to edit it and cut it. And so, uh, yeah, it was kind of sort of a baptism by fire. Uh, I love directing, but I don't like doing both. <laughs> it's just, no, thank you. The uh, Clint Eastwoods and the, um, uh, the Mel Gibsons and all these other guys that like to direct and star in their own projects. No, forget it. Not happening with me. Yeah. So nobody has one to hand at a time, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a good experience, but yeah, one one hand at a time. Uh, if I'm going to do one, I'm only going to do one because that's where I would much rather focus my energy 
and uh, devotion to. So, And you definitely play a lot of different characters in the roles that you've had in movies and TV. You don't really seem to lock yourself into a certain type of look or anything like that. No. And, and it's, it's funny because I have to, you have to evolve as you get older as an actor. If you, if you get stuck playing one role, I mean, it's okay, but it, as long as it keeps working for you. But I mean, when I first started out, I was my, I was doing nerd characters. I was doing goofy nerd characters. And then as I started to get older and lose my hair and then grow this hair, I started to see myself and casting directors started to see me in different roles. Um, you know, I did an NBC pilot called Awake, and it actually ended up airing for about a year. This was about four or five years ago. And mm -hmm. it starred Jason Isaacs from uh, Harry Potter. He was Lucius Malfoy. And um, really great guy. And I played the part of this really creepy uh, pedophile teacher, you know, bad guy kind of role. And uh, I got, I think I have a picture up on my IMDb page where I'm completely no hair on my face and they put a red wig on me. Yes. Okay. They had a red <laughs> wig on me and it looked real. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, my wife, she was like, oh my God, you look creepy as hell. <laughs> you look creepy as hell. So glad that's not you in real life. So you have to be ready and you have to be able to do any kind of role that is going to, you know, I just did a, I just did a role uh, in a film called Fleeced, which is still in post-production. Mm -hmm. And um, I played a farmer from Idaho. And, uh, you know, I had the, the long, big, bushy beard, much like this, and coveralls. And, you know, I was out running with the cows and chasing, uh, you know, chasing all kinds of things through the, uh, through the pastures. It was funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, back to that picture. It's funny because on your IMDb page, and I encourage people to check it out and see your body of work. That picture is such a stark difference to a lot of the other pictures. But I mean, and now I'm talking to Tim right now, and he's got a very thick beard and a big mustache, too, as well. And it's funny, the way that you keep it groomed for each role, it, it gives you definitely a different appearance. You almost don't look like the same person from movie to movie. It's just, you know, it, it's like if they know that it's you, then it's like, oh, yeah, that's Tim, but he looks a little different this time. See, I strive to be the actor where if you see me on the street, you point at me, you look at me, you go, I know you. I know you. Are you an actor? You know, the anonymity, get the recognition visually. One of my favorite actors that, I, that I've always tried to emulate is Gary Oldman. Mm -hmm. And that guy, through and through, you, you, he's unrecognizable. You don't see him as Gary Oldman like a lot of these other actors. You look at you, oh, you know, there's Keanu Reeves. Oh, you know, there's... Uh, Mel Gibson or, you know, a lot of these actors that you watch, they, you can tell who they are, but Gary Oldman is a chameleon, you know, it's really great how he can, he can just change his look, change his appearance, you know, for any type of the role. Um, God, Sirius Black to um, Commissioner Gordon. That's nuts. That's crazy. There's a bunch of roles that are not even on IMDb. See, IMDb is a, a pretty good guideline. But there's a lot of roles that don't end up on, on IMDb, either because I didn't get the credit for it, or it was a pilot that never aired, or you know something to that effect. And back in 2010, I played um, Jackie Earl Haley's double in the Nightmare on Elm Street film. Really? <laughs> every, 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 every shot that was not Jackie Earl Haley's face was me. 
So all of the close-ups and all of the gut-wrenching, you know, bloody slashing and stuff like that, yeah. Well, maybe they heard that you were so good at dying in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> you were a natural <laughs> choice for, for a body double. You know, I just, he and I are almost identical. It was funny. I wish I got a picture of the two of us during filming, but, you know, a lot of times I'm not thinking about, you know, getting photos or anything like that mm-hmm. uh, unless somebody approaches me. And, um, you know, we were sitting there in the director's chair and one of the hair and makeup gals came up to me and started calling me Jackie from behind. And I turned and I looked at her and she goes, you're not Jackie. I go, nope. She goes, damn, you look a lot like me. So <laughs> sometimes it pays to look like people and you get calls for anything. I mean, you know, I've gotten calls to do music videos where I was literally a Bruce Willis lookalike in, in, in an Australian uh, rock band music video. And they did kind of like a diehard scene where, you know, they're playing their music in this burning building and all of a sudden a Bruce Willis runs by and stops and looks back at him, you know? So (laughs) you'd be surprised at what kinds of roles, you know, that they've asked me to do or that I've auditioned for just uh, all And I know in Vulgar Fantastico, you played Satan? Yeah, it was a voiceover animated role. Um, And it actually, the the role was actually pulled. A a, a dear friend of mine who uh, asked me to help him with a couple projects, his name's Larry Longstreth. And um, he did an animated show called Mitch and Tanner, Save America. And it was an animated show. He he, he put a couple episodes together and I played Satan in in that show. And so he pulled that scene and put it into his uh, his his little short film project that he was doing. So could could you do a little sample of your Satan voice? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it it the the scene is actually was actually the antithesis of Satan. It, Satan plays a good guy in the movie, in the, in the project. So he sits there and he actually sits there and and he says, "No, Timothy, you don't want to do that." No, that would be horrible. Save all those people drowning. Please, I beg you. And then, <laughs> then the angel comes in. And it's basically literally Satan on one shoulder and the <laughs> angel on the other shoulder. And, and the angel is saying, you know, you don't have to save those people. They're, you know, it was a, it was a spoof on Noah's Ark uh, and the, the Great Flood. And so I play Satan and I'm going, Tim, you got to save all of those people drowning. And and the little angel turns around and he says, he says, this is God's plan. Don't save those people, you know? So it, it was a really fun little uh, spoof on the, uh, on the flood of Noah. One thing I like ac- asking actors is, out of all the movies or TV shows that you've enjoyed, is there a particular character that you wish that you had played? I wish I would have played Marty McFly in uh, Back to the Future. I'll tell you, when I saw that movie, that, that, that movie probably is responsible for my really being completely pulled in all the way, hook, line, and sinker, was that movie. And to this day, I watch it. You know, I got to play some great character roles. I got to play the uh, Rick Moranis character in the Ghostbusters, the Lewis Tully character. Mm-hmm. And um, I did that for about four, four and a half years. I did the live stage show at Universal Studios. And um, there's been some really great roles, but boy, I'll tell you, you know, that would have been a great role to play when I was younger. And I also, um, a lot of people said that I looked a lot like Ralph Macchio 
um, the Karate Kid, um, based on my my headshots from the eighties, uh, a lot like him. Those that would have been a great role too. Did you do the Rick, the Rick Moranis voice when you were doing the Ghostbusters? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Could All you time. could you honor us? <laughs> oh hey Dan, it's you. Hey, you know I uh, got some low sodium mineral water and other uh, nutritious foods here if you want to come. But you already know that. So uh, hey, I'll give you a call later. All right. <laughs> perfect perfect <laughs> i wouldn't change a thing on that too that was perfect <laughs> so what advice would you give to like people who want to get into acting you know given that what you've gone through in your career so far you know my my father uh gave me this piece of advice uh that has really really held and 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 stayed with me all my life he goes he says, okay, so you want to be an actor? He said, well, this is, the, this is what's going to happen. He says, you need to give it 10 years. He says, 10 years before you're going to even see any fruits of your labor. And he, when he said that, I was a little bit pissed. You know, I was kind of put off. I said, 10 years? Come on, really? He goes, 10 years. He says, and then look back and see what you've done. Well, I, I started to get my momentum after about three and a half to four years. When I came out here to California, I had to reset the dial and it was 10 years again, you know, before I started really getting in and doing more stuff. So what I can, what I could tell the advice to anybody is, man, you got to be patient. You're not going to come out to Hollywood and you're not going to, you know, book this great, you know, role and you're not going to, you know, get your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame overnight. It's, it's process. You know, I came out here and I studied after I got graduated from college, I came out here and I studied for nine years with an acting coach, just studied and studied and studied. Um, and then you've got to meet people. It is a process that, that takes so many things. So yeah, patience, um, you know, one out of a million will hit it on their first tryout here. It literally is a lottery. Um, and I'd say about 85% of the people that do come out here, they give up too easy. They give up, you know? So I told my wife, I said, if I stick around with it long enough, everybody's going to die. <laughs> and then I'm going to be like one of maybe two guys in my 80s that's still going to be alive is I'm going to book all the roles of the old guy. I said, because there's not going to be much competition. I said, so you got to stick with it. You got to stay with it in the long haul. And um, eventually you will find your, your niche because everybody has a niche in the industry. It's interesting what you said about, you know, sticking around because very often we see these actors and actresses on the screen and they say, oh, this is their breakout role. No, well, this is just the role that you're seeing them in for the first time. They may have been struggling for years up until that point. Yep, yeah, and you're absolutely right. And a lot of people that come out here and the ones that like hit it off right out of the gate, they're shell-shocked. They don't, they don't know how to process it. And then all of a sudden you go from that one simple you know, person that you were, you get this role that's amazing and then all of a sudden you're Jennifer Lawrence and you're overwhelmed with paparazzi and you've got people and you've got like handlers and you got people that handle your phones and calling and you know, you got, you got a publicist, you got a manager, you got an agent, you got a, a attorneys. I mean, it, it can, it can drive you to drugs, <laughs> which is what it does. A lot of people it drives them to drink drugs, you know, and, and or it drives them crazy. You know, a lot of times it's, it literally is, it's, you got to start in shallow end. You got to work your way into the deep end. I like that. That's, that's really good advice, Tim. So 
one of the things that we have to keep an eye open for with uh, you that are becoming out, I know COVID has kind of put a crimp in some of your future roles. Yeah. Well, uh, when, when COVID hit, uh, I said, this is the perfect time for me to basically do a complete 180 on an image and on a look. So this, that's when I grew my beard. Um, you know, I, I had just finished filming the farm farmer guy, but I said, I'm going to grow these, the handlebars. I'm going to get out there. I said, I started watching a lot of, um, uh, uh, social media stuff where, you know, all of these YouTubers and things. And, um, and all of a sudden I said, boy, the beard look is really making, it's really making a strong, you know, comeback or a, it's, it's getting a strong, uh, showing out there. And so I, I said, I'm going to do this. And then I set my sights. I go, I want to do Westerns. I want to do, um, period pieces. Like, I mean, God, my wife and I binge watched Outlander and, and she looked at me cause I had been growing this and she goes, man. She goes, you could be right there doing something in, in that show. Uh, and then the same thing with Yellowstone. I mean, she goes, God, you know, you got to get out there and, you know, so it's a process. You know, you, you change your look. You try to, to, to fit with what's happening currently in, this, in, the, in the situation of, uh, of the film industry. Like, there was no filming until August. I mean, from March to August, forget it. It was dead. Um, then they started doing all the reality shows and then they started picking up filming on these other things. But boy, COVID is really, you know, it's really done a lot of damage. So, I mean, I, I personally, I had to find, I, I lost my agent because of it. Millions of actors, tons of actors that have lost their representation because the agencies have either had to shut down, trim their rosters back, you know, so they let you go. And uh, only recently did I get signed by a model and commercial agent, but I'm still working on a theatrical agent, just like hundreds and hundreds of other actors. And we'll hope that you're going to win that lottery that you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Either one, though, right? The money one is good, too, right? <laughs> you know, God, God love my wife for supporting me for, you know, 30 plus years in this, I tell you. You know, it takes a special someone to stand behind you, stand with you side by side and uh, and support you through a passion like that without support from either a, a loved one or friends or a community of people. It really, really, really makes it that much more difficult to achieve certain goals uh, as an actor. So always keep a nice, tight support group. I like that. You, you could be like the actor's psychologist, I think, in <laughs> your future. There's a role for you, Tim. Hmm. <laughs> like, like a Freudian uh, guy. I've got the whole Freudian, uh, you know, like kind of, yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> you could, uh, yeah. Or, or the, uh, the, I'll call myself the acting guru. Huh? That would be very good. I'd love for you to uh, go down that avenue and try it out, you know? <laughs> Well, I'm a podcast chairman, so you can be an acting guru. So I think it's totally fair. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, his name is Tim McLaughlin. Keep an eye open for him. You know, when we see some stuff coming out, we'll g- give me a yell and I'll throw it on my social media and we will spread the words to the rebels of the Sharp Pollution. Tim, thank you so much for coming on by. Happy to be on. Uh, you, can, you can find me on IMDb, uh, just imdb.me backslash Timothy McLaughlin. There's a couple other links there on that IMDb page that can take you to uh, some of my social media sites, uh, Instagram, at the Timothy Mac. Um, those, are, those are the main, uh, main areas you can find me, but 
Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Jim. We're on that internet thingy at sharepollution.com. And thank you so much to Tim McLaughlin for coming by the Sherpa Screening Room. Keep an eye out for his upcoming projects, and he'll be the guy with the really cool beard. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Tim, for coming down. Really appreciate it. You know, I just wanted to take a couple of minutes here to let all of you know about the brand new, well, it's a little bit older since this has been recorded, but the brand new Sherpolution.com. That is my website. I wanted to tell you what's there. I know some people, they don't like downloading podcast apps, and I get that. Sometimes that can be a little intimidating. So this is a website that will definitely make listening to this show and enjoying it and participating with it a lot easier. You know, I had another website through a server called HostGator and did the website through a site called Weebly, and they were really good. But someone had mentioned a site called podpage.com, and it was where you could create a website for your podcast. Hello, I'm right here. So I definitely checked it out, and I got to tell you where it took me weeks to do the other website that I was really happy with. This was just done in a matter of hours, and I was just so amazed how it came out and how much easier and a lot less effort this took. And and I've had a lot more shows since I set up this website than I did the last website, and it just all took the information in. It's fantastic. So I want to take a little time to tell you about some of the things that are on this webpage. And of course, all the episodes of Too Many Podcasts are there. And if you're looking right across the top, the little header thing, you'll, you can even follow along if you've got the website up. You can see the listings of the episodes, and they're broken down by filter. If you want to listen to the episodes that I did where the subject matter was music, you could find those. If it's about positivity, if it has some of the actors that we've had, some of the directors, some of the writers, it's all broken down for you. Nice and easy. Just click on it. Boom. You get a listing of all the ones that are there, even the paranormal ones with my buddies from Odd Tonic or the science one with my buddies from Just Nah Science. They're all there. And of course, we have the about page, which tells you about the podcast, and the calendar of the upcoming episodes. So if ever you're wondering what episodes are on this month, that schedule changes at the beginning of every month, so I let you know. We have links to also the Expert Factory, the show that I did last year, Little Mini Podcast, and Too Many 80s Songs, which is a side project that I've done with Uncle Bruce, you know, Mr. Bruce, on 80s music. And it's got the links there and the links to all of the playlists to the songs that are played on that podcast, just in case you don't have Spotify Premium. So you can hear everything and more. Lots of lots of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots, lots and lots of 80s music to listen to. So if you're a fan, definitely check that out. We have a past guest page with pictures and information on some of the previous guests that we've had from some of the very special shows that we've done. There's a spot where you can rate the show and leave a review and it'll take you right to where you can leave a review. Nice and easy. You know, I'm always asking you guys, leave me a review. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher.com. You can do it right there on the website. Boom. It'll show up there. Also, there's a page that says, speak to the Sherpa. And if you click on that, you can send me a message. 
that I will receive. And if you want me to talk about it on the show, I can gladly do that. And you'll notice there's a little microphone on the page. You can leave me a voicemail. Hello. How much easier can it be for you folks? Nice and simple. There's also a page through a website called Kofi. And if you want to make a donation to the show, I don't usually push that, but I know some people, they like podcasts and they want to do something to help. If you want to make a donation, you can do it right through there. Really simple. And you'll notice that also the links to all my social pages are right there for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on Sharpolution, and even the YouTube channel that I did with a couple of little videos. And lastly, there is a subscribe button so you can subscribe to the podcast through a whole bunch of apps. Just click on it and you can pick one. And poof, you can listen right on your computer once you subscribe to the podcast. Pretty cool, huh? So check it out, SherpaLution.com. Definitely a lot easier for you folks. And I think that you're going to enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. Thank you again to the people at PodPage.com. Not a sponsor or anything like that. They're not paying me to say this. Really wonderful website. I appreciate it. And I think you guys will too. Whew, okay. So, Mr. Bruce, I think it's time to head on out of here. And how did you grow a beard that fast? <laughs> I'm still working on mine and it's been six months and I can't even see anything. All right. I'm jealous. We have to go. Viva la Sherpa Lucia, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Lou Studios production. Viva la Sherpa Lucian!